you know, when the boats pull in, it's just so exciting. The crew are back from sea, and it's really sort of almost an old-fashioned industry, you know, where you don't sort of see that so much. And um, and I love every minute of it. This is Fishtails, a seafood podcast. I'm John Sussman. Tuna are a prize fish. A top-grade tuna with bright red, nicely marbled meat is worth thousands on a sashimi market day. The world tuna market is worth a staggering 60 billion US dollars per annum, making it not only one of the most valuable, but also one of the most highly traded foods on the planet. Whilst much of this catch finds its way into cans destined for supermarket shelves and ultimately for humble sandwiches and salads, there is something really special about the premium sashimi-grade fish and the fishermen that catch them. Here in Australia, tuna fishers have garnered a reputation of being the rock stars of the fishing community. Often fishing using modern vessels with the latest technology, they also operate in the most volatile of global food markets. It's long had a reputation of being a boom or bust fishery, but there are several operators who, by applying contemporary business strategies, have found themselves at the leading edge of this exciting industry. Parvo and Heidi Walker own and operate one of the most dynamic and progressive fishing operations in the country, Walker Seafoods Australia. From their home port of Mooloolabar in southeast Queensland, they fish the east coast of Australia for premium quality fish that will ultimately be served in some of the best restaurants in Sydney, Tokyo and New York. This is Heidi Walker from Walker Seafoods Australia, uh, based in Mooloolaba on the Sunshine Coast in Queensland. So Paro, my husband, in all his wisdom, one day decided to become a tuna fisherman. So I had a corporate job in Sydney. He had a corporate job in Sydney, controlling Sydney Harbour in the Ports Corporation. Um, and he used to watch the tuna boats coming in and out of the harbour. And he thought, wow, wouldn't that be an awesome job? I did not think it would be an awesome job. So off he went um, to get himself a tuna boat and a license and and went out to sea for 10 years of his life, much to my horror. Um, And we had to move the boat. We couldn't work it out of the fish markets. It was very difficult. So we um, then moved the business up to Mooloolabar on the Sunshine Coast. There's a really good weather window up here for the fishery so that, you know, you can pretty much get the boats in and out all the time on the Sunshine Coast. We know down off Sydney and further south, um, the winds really impact the fishery, so it's very difficult to be getting boats in and out. Um, and also, I mean, the lifestyle up here is fabulous, you know, it's a great place to live. Um, and there's a lot of infrastructure for the fishery. So, you know, we have a lot of um, subcontractors and mechanics available to us all specialising. There's a big... Um, um, a trawler port up here as well, so that, that they service. The migratory pelagic species caught in the Australian eastern tuna and billfish fishery are also caught by many other countries, with Australia's catch of the tuna and billfish representing only a very small part of the total catch internationally. However, the Australian fishery is one of the most highly regulated and managed fisheries in the world. By limiting the catch of tuna and billfish species, restricting how many boats can fish and regulating what gear they can use, it is one of the most highly respected, often revered, wild catch fisheries on the planet. 
So the ECBF, uh, which is the Eastern Tuna Billfish Fishery, is a Commonwealth fishery, which is managed by Australian Fisheries Management Authority, AFMA. Um, and it basically starts up around to the Cape York and it, and it goes all the way down the east coast of Australia, down around uh, Tasmania. Uh, so it's, it's, a, it's a large fishery. It's, it's um, one of the top five Commonwealth AFMA fisheries in value. Um, and the main species um, that we are fishing for, which are quoted species, are... Uh, the yellowfin tuna, big eye tuna, albacore tuna, swordfish, and striped marlin. So it's all, it's a line fishery. It's hook and line. Um, you know, it's also called a long line fishery. So the, you know, the boats um, depart. We generally, or we used to fish a lot around the cycle of the moon. So first quarter, boats would leave. They would fish, you know, 10 to 12 days, come back in on full moon, unload and be back out there to fish sort of across that full moon and end of quarter because that's just when the fish were biting. That's when the tuna seemed to be – no one can tell you exactly why. A lot of people say the, the brightness of the moon attracts the squid to the surface and that's why you're catching the tuna. Um, so that's sort of one theory. But – um, so the boats are out, come back, do a turnaround, unload, unload their product, um, and go straight back out to fish around around that moon cycle. But um, it's it's all very sustainable. Um, we're an MSC certified fishery. We were the first ones to do that. Um, so yeah, it's it's exciting fishery. I we really enjoy it. So our boats will leave Malulaba now. If they're going north to fish, they'll they'll fish up as far off Cairns. You know, they'll which is a long steam can be sort of two to three days to get up there. Um, but if the fish are biting down off Coffs, we can send them down there or down off Sydney. You know, it's a long way for those boats to be going. Um, but that's just what we have to do. And we have a specific, along with Parvo, we have a specific um, vessel manager who also looks at where the fish might be. You know, we've got all sorts of charts and, and computer imaging and, and satellite imaging that we look at where the fish would be and where the boats need to go. Well, you don't always get it right. It is said that there are seven traits of a true entrepreneur. They're passionate, they're business savvy, they're confident, they're planners, they're always on, they're money managers and they never give up. The walker's punt on the eastern tuna and billfish fishery is a story of visionary entrepreneurship. When Pave decided to become a tuna fisherman, I was quite horrified so he went out and and got the boat we had one boat you only had to have a license it wasn't a quoted fishery at that stage i can't can't remember what year it was they flipped over to quota um the quota system so finally i got my head around the fact that we were now in the game in the fishing game and i could just see that there was a real potential in this industry and i could see with parvo that you know he had a real love for it as well and that that there was a possibility that we could expand the business. Um, and so when we moved to Malulabar, we looked at the opportunity and then we started buying more quota. And so we attract, we bought sort of parcels of quota along the way as um, people were exiting the industry back when we sort of went through the um, the GFC. Um, the, the dollar went to parity, the fuel price went through the roof, a lot of people were exiting the industry. So we were just picking up quota parcels along the way. We actually had to buy a couple of boats we didn't want just to get hold of the quota. That was quite painful. Um, so then we ended up, you know, within a very short time frame, probably only five or six years, we went from one boat and sort of four staff to five boats 
50 staff, um, an export facility, our own export facility, because we used to use um, a pack house um, to pack our product for us and we'd pay them, but but we knew we could do it a lot better. We knew we could take it on um, ourselves. And I'd come from a really corporate sales background, so I knew that there was better ways of doing things. So, yeah, we just expanded the business and, and then ended up being the biggest quota holder, you know, by a long way in the, in the, um, in the fishery, which is really exciting for us. Walker Seafoods was the first Australian tuna business to achieve the Marine Stewardship Council's MSC Global Standard for the sustainable fishing of yellowfin, big eye, albacore and swordfish. Whilst mostly this highly respected third party certification is undertaken by industry bodies on behalf of a total fishery, in the void of industry alignment, Walker's showing trademark vision committed to undertaking to have their business certified in recognition of the demands of the contemporary chef and consumer. Yeah, well, the reason we did it, John, because, you know, I'd come from, I actually was in the um, wine industry in the beer. Well, originally it was Carlton United and then I flicked across to Treasury Wine when Foster split them um, and I was in the sales manager type roles. And I, and I interacted a lot with chefs, especially on Hastings Street in Noosa and a lot of them, and I used to mention, oh, my husband has a tuna boat and, you know, we catch tuna and swordfish and, and they'd say, oh, we'd never put that on the menu. It's not sustainable. And I'd stand there arguing with them for an, about an hour, not doing my other job. Hope no one's listening from Treasury Wines. But, um, you know, they would talk about how it's not sustainable and it made me angry because I knew it was a sustainable fishery. I knew that we were the quota was sustainable, that, you know, AFMA did a great job of managing. Australia has the best managed Commonwealth fisheries in the world. So... I contacted MSC and they, and they had a great fellow there that came and met with me and we went through the whole process and, and how we could do it. And there's a lot of science behind it and it takes years to achieve. Um, and Parve is a bit of a specialist in that area. He's got a science background. He actually did science at university. So he assisted AFMA and we had CSIRO involved. And after about two years, we obtained certification for the yellowfin swordfish and albacore and we were the first in australia to do so um and the first in the world or second in the world i think we were for swordfish and first for sashimi grade yellowfin to be certified there's a few more now um and then the phone just started ringing you know the phone in australia i mean i think neil perry was one of our first biggest supporters here one of our first well-known chefs and then overseas you know we had whole foods and swiss co-op and many places contacting us because they wanted to have that stamp um, on the fish or on their menu or whatever it was. The currency in maximising the value of the catch in the tuna and billfish fishery is knowing exactly what the grade of each fish is and which customer it best suits. For some buyers, it is colour or freshness. For others, it is size or fat content. To both identify the grade and render an accurate customer for each fish takes knowledge, skill, intuition and perhaps a little luck. For Heidi Walker, this dark art has become her trademark. When we were expanding and we became a much bigger business, I realised that we needed to be more professional. And you know, and I'm not putting anyone down here, but it, traditionally in the fishing industry, it has you know, it's just been a fisherman in his boat and, and that sort of thing. Whereas I saw the opportunity to be more professional, to have a really good customer service behind us. So. When the fish are unloaded into the factory, so we do that straight off the boats, you know, they might come in with a 100 tuna that come through the factory. I have all the orders. I've spoken with chefs, wholesalers, whoever I'm, we're sending overseas for X 
export to LA and Hawaii, Seattle, New York, wherever the fish are going. Um, and I, we know the grades these people want. And I'm relying on the skippers to have, they're not grading the fish out there. They're just telling me what they're catching and they're guessing the weights and, and this sort of thing. So I'm selling on the back of that. As the fish come in the factory, I've got my list. I'm there with our head um, grader and production manager, Dan, who does a brilliant job and he's been grading fish for, you know, well over 20 years. Um, and, you know, as we're grading, we take the little cut on the tail um, and have a look and then we decide, okay, that's a fish for this person, that's a fish for that person. So I might say that is Neil Perry's big eye right there or, you know, that's Josh Nyland's swordfish right there. Um, and it's a good process. And, and there are times even we put that fish in the box and we, we're still grading and going through and, and we come across a better big eye. Oh, take out Neil's big eye, you know, that's a much better one we found. And so we're really conscious about giving the customer what they want, whether it's a chef, whether it's a wholesaler, who it is. Um, and the grading process is really, really important to get right. Um, you can't imagine how many <laughs> different actual grades there are of tuna and they're all different shapes and sizes and some people like big ones and some people like small ones and yeah, but you, you have to be on top of it. Whilst many in the seafood catching sector are far removed from where their harvest ends up, the walkers have an innate appreciation of fine dining, which combined with a savvy sense of marketing has driven them to build direct relationships with many chefs around the world, resulting in both personal and professional rewards. I really enjoy it because I really enjoy eating out. We both, Pavel and I both really enjoy eating out. And nothing makes me happier than seeing our fish on the plate and seeing what the chef can do with it. And every chef does something different. Um, you know, there are definitely definitely a lot of personalities out there. And it's the same in, in our industry dealing with wholesalers. But I like to give them what they want. And I like them to know that I'm taking the care for them, that they're placed in order, they want a particular fish. So, and quite often I'll ask them what they're doing with it. Are you are you searing it? Is it going to be raw? What are you doing with that fish so that we can get that particular grade for you? Um, but I, I do. I really enjoy doing with chefs. And I love – I was recently just down at um, Spice Temple in Sydney and saw Andy down there and he came out and had a great chat. And it, it's just such a lovely thing to know that the fish I'm eating right now, the fish that I graded two days ago, um, and he's done a brilliant job with it and we get to enjoy it. We went over to the Boston Seafood Show a few years ago pre-COVID um, and we went to see our big buyer in Boston, uh, Robbie, Robbie Brandano, and he's a great guy and we arrived and it was, I think he definitely had links with the mafia because it seemed like there are a few sus people in the room with us and he sat us all down and put us around the table. We all had to stand up and talk about, you know, why we sell our fish to Robbie and what a great guy he is and he is a great guy so I had no hesitation standing up and talking about him and, and suddenly he brings out our fish that we'd sent across to him, you know, not that only a few days before and and we were all eating the swordfish there that, you know, we'd sent across. And it was just such a lovely thing to see everyone enjoying our swordfish that come all the way from Australia and, and, and people would just had all the questions for us, you know, where do you catch it and where's this from and how do you get it here? So it was a really lovely experience. Before the pandemic, 80% of seafood was consumed in restaurants. Through COVID, it dropped to nearly 10%. The Australian closed border policy meant exporting fresh tuna became nearly impossible. With a food service and export focus, Walker's business stood perilously placed as COVID restrictions took hold. Again, their entrepreneurial spirit came to the fore. As it was for everyone, it was just such a shock. 
you know, we air freight, we air freight about 80% of our catch overseas and not because um, I, it's taken away from the Australians, which a lot of people think, oh, you're taking it away from the Australians. No, Australia doesn't have the population to support. You know, Australia also imports 80% of its seafood, sadly. So a lot of people are using imported products. So we do export a lot. Um, and I knew there was an issue when I woke up in the middle of the night and I looked at my phone and I had all my wholesalers in New York and telling me, don't send us any fish, we're closing down, we're shutting the doors, and then tire unions, we don't want your fish, and these people said, we don't want your fish, and, and, and it was unbelievable. I went to work that day shaking and ringing the bank because we owed the bank a lot of money and um, just saying that we've got problems. So immediately we knew that we couldn't, air freight our fish overseas anymore. Um, Scott Morrison had, you know, stopped that, which he had to do. Um, So we flicked across to a different type of fishing. And so we normally surface set the line to catch the tuna. So we went deep setting, which we had always done deep setting at certain times of the month, but not in a great deal. So now we flicked across and we were going to focus on catching albacore and we caught albacore because we could freeze it and put it in the sea freight containers and send it over to the high-end canneries to go through Europe um, and Spain and and Thailand and places like that. Um, And that would keep the business afloat um, and help, you know, cover the costs of the the 50 staff that we had. We didn't want people losing their jobs. Uh, But, I mean, initially when it struck, I had five vessels coming back into port with about 15 tonne of fresh fish, fresh yellowfin. You can't freeze those fish, as you know, John. So very quickly we cut a deal with Coles, I think possibly with a little bit of your assistance introducing me to someone there. And they were great. They ranged our yellowfin through three states, through Queensland, New South Wales, Victoria, and we were sort of able to move that that fish quickly because otherwise it was honestly going to be a position of freezing it or taking it to the tip, which was just such a horrible thing to think of. Um, we also set up a pop-up shop outside <laughs> our factory where all the staff would stand there and and we got in the local media and we were selling, you know, tuna steaks and I still shudder having to do a retail pop-up shop, but it got us through. But, you know, it's been very, very problematic for us um, and it still is at the moment because the air freight is four times the price. Um, I can't access all the air freight. The sea freight is four times the price. Um, so we're still seeing a lot of um, ongoing problems with COVID. We're getting through it and things are somewhat getting back to normal, but, yeah, it's, it's, been, it's been a massive issue for us. It's an enormous learning curve through it and trying to navigate. Is there a more commonly discussed topic in food service and food retail than the dilemma faced on staffing? Consider then the plight of the fishing company who are trying to crew vessels where the work entails long hours, weeks away at sea, often in life-threatening conditions. I know everyone's complaining at the moment they can't get staff. We've never been able to get staff because nobody wants to go on a fishing boat out to sea for two weeks at a time, nobody. And if they do do it, they usually come back to port and run away really, really quickly. So we've had to use, which was the old 457 visa, and we now use the 482 visa. Um, So in the past, that's worked really quite well for us. Um, We usually bring out Filipinos and Indonesians and they have, you know, 10 years, 15, 20 years on tuna longline vessels around the world because, you know, it it is a big international market, tuna fishing. Um, So that's been good and they come out and they're very happy. They earn a very good wage. They send all the money home for their family, which we're really happy to support as well. They get to go home every year for their four weeks annual leave. Recently, it's been made a lot harder because everyone's now competing for staff. So we're 
finding of staff are getting poached um, and getting offered, you know, cash jobs and, and things like that when we've paid all the money to bring them out for four years, we've paid the airfares, we've paid all the visa costs, which is about, you know, can be up to about 15000 per person for us to bring out. Um, the government hasn't made it easy. I don't think they've done a good job with that. I I discussed that with them a lot. I you know I've been down to Canberra. I've been there for the budgets. I've met with former prime ministers and treasurers and our local members, and I think the government, Australian government, really lets down our industry and I think a lot of other industries because there should be a simplified visa process where we can bring out the workers that people don't want to do in Australia. And Australia is a very wealthy country, and people don't want to go to sea and they don't want to work in abattoirs and they don't want to pick fruit, and that's fine. But let us bring in those workers, and I'm sure it's very much the same in hospitality, bring out the workers that we need so business can grow. Because if I had more staff, if I could have more deckhands on tap, then I would buy two more boats, three more boats, which then essentially we employ more Australians in our factory, more Australians in the management team. So that's my big gripe at the moment, John. Despite the many challenges facing the wild catch fishing sector in Australia, it seems that we're entering some exciting times. With a renaissance of appreciation for the unique characteristics of wild-caught seafood, an ever-increasing demand for a known provenance and history of supply, and the awakening of awareness of how special and sustainable Australian fisheries are, the future is indeed exciting. Well, look, I think it has a really bright future. It's a, it's a fantastic fishery. Um, you know, the, the tuna is a, is a global market. Um, it's The prices uh, we're commanding are high. Um, the demand is very, very high. Um, I think there's just the vision has to be that you have to grow as well. I don't think, um, you know, you, you have your single boat operators and that's all fine. But for us, we're all about growth. Um so possibly we might be down the track expanding a little bit further. We're still looking at that. But I think it has a really bright future. It's a very well-managed fishery by AFMA. Um, around the world, we're known for that. We're an MSC-certified fishery um, and we, we produce a good product. You know, Australia produces beautiful tuna all up and down the east coast of Australia. So it's in high demand. Some may think that moving from a comfortable corporate life to the highly speculative and often cyclical life of wild catch fishing would be sheer madness. For the walkers, however, a burning entrepreneurial spirit underpinned by a clear vision and an almost corporate-like execution plan has built the largest vertically integrated fishing company operating in the Australian Eastern Tuna and Billfish Fishery. It's been a great journey, John. It's been There's so many words I can use, this stressful um, the learning curve has been massive, but it's been enjoyable. It's been really, really enjoyable because there's just so many facets of the business. You know, there's the dealing with the chefs and, and going to the fancy restaurants to eat our fish. That's wonderful. But then, yeah, there are other times when the fish come through the factory and they're not the grade that we think they were going to be. And suddenly I'm scrambling to find other buyers to send the fish to. But then on a good day, you're getting the beautiful big eye coming through and they're all just grading perfectly and, and you've got too many good fish coming through um it's a really interesting you know when the boats pull in it's just so exciting and the crew are back from sea and it, it's really sort of almost an old-fashioned industry you know we don't sort of see that so much we are part of the ag world we are agriculture we're a farmer we're farmers of the sea somewhat and um and i love every minute of it um it does test you at times but hey that's just the way it is 
I, I just the excitement the day is going to bring. There's always something I know that's in the works. There's a customer I need to get back to in Boston or Hawaii. There's um, a chef I need to talk to. There's John Sussman I need to see what's happening down in Sydney. You know, that always gets me out of bed. So I, I love our staff. I love um, where we work. Um, I love being the boss. So, yeah, that, that's what gets me out of bed. The walkers are a model of next-generation fishers operating to the highest quality standards with a deep and intimate understanding of their customers' needs. Their operation is reason for Australians to be proud of what, how, where and why our seafood industry is in such great shape. This is Fishtales, a seafood podcast. A Deep in the Weeds production, I'm John Sussman. Follow us on Instagram at Fishtails Seafood Podcast or email us at fishtailspodcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay tuned for more tales from beneath the surface of the seafood world every Friday on your podcast.